Boy, I hope you folks have a hold of your wallets because today on the Lazy RPG Talk Show, we're going to be looking at three different Kickstarters, two different bundles of holding, and an awesome new product. We're going to look at the Sky Zephyrs Kickstarter, the Dolmenwood Kickstarter, the Shadow of the Weird Wizard Kickstarter, and we're going to look at an incredible deal on Shadow of the Demon Lord material available on Bundles of Holding. We're going to take a look at the new news that Roll20 has a character vault, a non-VTT tied character vault for, for their system. That's going to be very interesting to look at. I'm going to look at some recent additions to the City of Arches sourcebook, a Patreon product that I have been working on for the last year or so. And we're going to look at Uncharted Journeys by Cubicle 7. Does this book solve exploration? That is going to be the big question we're going to talk about today. And we're going to go through the first set of questions from the August 2023 Patreon Q&A, all today on the Lazy RPG Talk Show. I'm Mike Shea, your pal from Sly Flourish, here to talk about all things in role-playing games. This show is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. Patrons, thank you so much for your support. Later in the show, we're going to look at one of the features that patrons get, but patrons get access to all kinds of cool things, dedicated Discord server, the monthly Q&A, a bunch of exclusive adventures, all different kinds of stuff you get for being a patron of Sly Flourish. But we're also going to look at the City of Arches Sourcebook, which patrons have been looking at and watching evolve over the past year. And we're going to see some of the stuff they have in there. So, boy, yeah, a lot of Kickstarters. A lot of, I don't know what it is. I don't know why everybody decided August was Kickstarter month, but they did. And one of them is the Sky Zephyrs Kickstarter. When the Spelljammer box set came out, one of the biggest complaints was there really isn't a good system for handling aerial combat. A couple of different groups have, have worked on this. Ghostfire Gaming has a product called the Ethereal Expanse, which was Kickstarted a couple of months ago. And the a, a father-son duo known as Homie and the Dude, I've been on their podcast. It's a really fun podcast where they talk about like the role-playing game business and, and 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 online businesses in general really fun to do but they launched a kickstarter for sky zephyrs sky zephyrs is a 240 page pdf 250 plus page pdf which includes a whole bunch of rules for how to run combat in aerial combat and airship kind of stuff which i think you could drop right into your Spelljammer game, but you could also just have aerial Zeppelin-y kind of aerial ship combat in anything else. They follow the Mike Shea rule for Kickstarters, which is the ability to get a free sample. You can click it and get straight to a free sample. It is a 21-page free sample that shows you the kind of material you would get in this Kickstarter. It shows you the quality of the material, the quality of the editing, all of the stuff that you want to see in here. Beautiful artwork that they've got. Clearly a lot going on. One of the other things that this Kickstarter does, which is another really great thing that Kickstarter do really good kickstarters do is the book's already written it's already written it's already ready to go which means once the kickstarter campaign is complete you will get access to the final product sent directly to you so really really good looking stuff you know definitely falls into your 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 typical rule set that you would want for a fifth edition game typical design that you'd want for a fifth edition game i haven't done i didn't dive too deep into this to be like hey exactly how does this work but it is play tested rules for running ship-based combat which i think is really great it's a very focused idea it does one thing it's not trying to be all things to all people really focused really focused activity you know, really focused product rules for your air crews again really cool distinct art i like the art very much Really cool looking stuff. Combat rules, everything. So check out the free sample. Take a look at the Kickstarter. You can find it in the show notes. Take a look at the free sample. See if it's the kind of product that is for you. And if it is, go ahead and back it. 
They do have some online components. I am always a little iffy on online components. The idea of like, hey, you get access to an online tool and you can work with it there. Because online tools, unlike a PDF, I know the PDF will last the ages as long as I keep track of it, as long as I keep care of it, as long as I put it on my hard drive. The minute I'm using like a Kickstarter subscribe to an online tool, it's like, yeah, five years out, is that thing going to still be around? I don't know. But the PDF will be. I, my PDF should be around for five years. I have, I have PDFs that are way older than five years. So I'm always nervous about that. But the fact that the main rules of this game are in a PDF, that's a really thing that, the, the real thing that matters. Nice big Kickstarter page with lots of information, lots of details on how it worked, how they did their playtesting. Everything is on here. So check that out. That is the Sky Zephyrus Kickstarter from Homie and the Dude. Uh, the Dolmenwood Kickstarter, just shy, as of this recording, just shy of a million dollar Kickstarter, 7,150 backers. Dolmenwood is an old school style role-playing game. It's a complete role-playing game in one package. It is three books, a player's book, a campaign book, and a monster book. It is mostly focused on the campaign book, which I think is like on the 400 page level. The player guide, player book is I think at 128 pages. The monster book is somewhere around there. And this is done by the same group, Exalted Funeral, who did Old School Essentials. If you're familiar with Old School Essentials and the quality of the work that Old School Essentials has put out, the, the quality of the material for that, for that brand, you will be familiar with the kind of work that's going on here. It is a great big Kickstarter. It's obviously doing very, very well. And it also has a 76-page PDF preview. You can download it directly, no account required, right? Don't have to log in, don't have to give your email address. And the 76-page preview shows you a lot about this campaign, like what you're going to get and how it works. It has its own, so instead of using the old school Essentials role-playing game, I, I think, I don't know if this was tied to the OGL, I know there was conversation about it when the whole OGL fiasco came about, but they, I think they also said, like, for this kind of campaign, there are specific opinionated things that they want to do to the system instead of just running a pure kind of BX-style game they had some ideas about how they wanted to handle skills they wanted to separate out your species from your class so there were certain things that they wanted to do with this that's different from old school essentials which is why it is a full role-playing game instead of just being a supplement for old school essentials but i know that they talked about it gorgeous artwork so the whole the whole setting of this is a british isles fairy tale fantasy kind of game and it's big on a lot of old school ideas like exploration and hex crawls and sort of an open-ended nature of like where you're going to go and what kind of what kind of adventures you're going to have. So it's not like a campaign where everything is predetermined or where the path is predetermined. Instead, it's a big open world that you would run. So, and I love this, right? That's what I love. I love to have source books that have lots of open-ended ideas and then I can take them and I can build adventures from it. Beautiful artwork, fantastic design, looks really, really good. Right up front, it tells you exactly what kind of material you can research that gives you an idea what the form and flow of this adventure is i really like that idea like what are the things that inspired this world what are the what are the things i could go watch or i could go read or i could just go understand video games i could play that tells me ah oh, that's the style of game that we're running here i always like it when they do that that's a really cool idea the pdf preview the 76 page preview covers all of the different things that you would find in those main books those great big books it talks about the world itself what dolmenwood is what style of game it is the kind of artwork that you're going to see it gives you the about dolmenwood like what's this about this is actually dedicated to the kickstarter so it tells you like what the kickstarter is offering you which is great like what the books and characters and everything like that sandbox world what you get how big the books are going to be and then talks about what what how do your how does your journey begin what kind of stuff do you do who are the different folk and factions the sentient 
you know, the sentient folk, who are the different, like both the NPC races or NPC species and the character options that you'll have. In fact, there is a whole section. Look at this map. Beautiful, beautiful map. Really cool looking, you know, really cool looking high fantasy map. I love the style. You know, really, really neat. Really neat stuff. I'm just, just, it looks fantastic. It looks really good. And that, that style of artwork is really, that style of artwork is fantastic. So what is, what, how, how are characters made, right? The, the fact, and again, if you're familiar with old school essentials, you're going to pick up on this pretty quick. They're pretty clear about that, but it does separate out your kindred, which is sort of your species or your race from your class. It's the same ability scores. I think there's a little difference in how it handles skills and things like that. And then it talks about monster statistics and that how they abbreviate monster statistics. Shows a few examples of the kindred, the kind of species that you can play at. Lots of cool random tables in here. You know, backgrounds, trinkets. I love it. So it gives a couple examples. Then a couple examples of classes you can play. The cleric, the enchanter, how they work. A whole system about magic, how the different spells work, what they look like, the different schools of magic, fairy magic, glamours, that sort of thing. So a very, very detailed preview that tells you a lot about what you're going to get. I really thought this was kind of neat. They have the holy spells, like the spells you'd have for clerics, but each one of them has a story that's sort of tied to the lore of a particular saint from which that spell came. So it's almost like you're getting like a holy book that tells you not only about what the abilities of the spell are, but also like what's a little story, a little anecdote that talks about how that came about. I thought that was really clever and creative. And I think it's a great way to kind of get a recognition for what the world is like around you through that one, through that one spell. Again, you're telling the lore. This is very like a Dark Soulsy approach, right? Instead of dumping backstory on you all day long, instead it's like every item, every spell you have has a little piece of information tied to it that tells you a little bit more about the world. I love that idea very much. Equipment, services and animals, retainers, also a big old school thing. Adventuring, what your adventures are like. How do you prepare the roles? This is really interesting. The player roles it has. This is something I might I might think about. Where at the beginning of the game, you say, okay, who's the caller? Who is the, like, who's, who speaks for the group, right? Like, let's have a party leader, right? You can elect who the party leader is, but let's have a party leader so that we don't have to go to everybody. Instead, we say, party leader, where are we going? I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that and see how that works. People might not like it, but I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see how that works. So not only does it give you a whole guide about how to run this particular rpg but also gives you some ideas about hey before you even sit down and make characters as a group of players decide who the call the chronicler is like who's going to keep track of the story who's going to do mapping who's going to keep track of loot and who's going to be the caller i like that idea that you have sort of jobs that each of the players do that's on top of managing their character who's going to handle initiative great stuff Really, really cool. So, you know, I'm not going to go through all the rest of it. You can go through 76-page PDF, but I backed it. I, I backed it pretty heavily. So I backed the... They have a special edition cover version. 125 bucks, which is a lot, but you're getting a lot of stuff with it. And it's a... It comes with a slipcase. It comes with three books, special edition covers. And I was like, yeah... First of all, I have seen the kind of quality that this company comes out with when I picked up old school essentials work. And there have been times where I did not back their old school essential stuff and wished I had. And later I was like, oh, I wish I'd done it. And sometimes it can be hard to pick up this stuff after market. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to pick it up. But these beautiful special edition covers looks really, really good. Another thing is this entire setting has already been tested and played by many, many groups because it came out in previous set of magazines that were there for old school essentials. And other people who have played it say it's one of the best settings that they've ever run. 
run in. It's a really, really good detailed setting. So it's a full RPG. I'm really, really excited for this. I can't wait for it to come out. I can't wait for to, to get the pledge. And I was happy to back it. And I'm happy to recommend it. So, so check that out. That's the Dolman Wood Kickstarter. Again, you can find a link to it in the show notes. Last week, we went through the preview of Shadow of the Weird Wizard. Well, the Kickstarter itself is now up and running. You can back the Shadow of the Weird Wizard Kickstarter. Rob Schwab is a machine when it comes to writing stuff. He just pours out stuff. And as we're going to talk about when we get into the two bundles of holding, which are both based on Shadow of the Demon Lord, you will see the amount of material that he creates for his settings. And this Kickstarter is the best way to tap into all of that creativity, all of that energy he has into developing these fantastic products. It was a no-brainer for me to back Shadow of the Weird Wizard. Like the other Kickstarters... I talked about and I showed off in the last show there is a Shadow of the Weird Wizard quick play 27 page guide that shows how characters are made gives some pre-generated characters talks about the rules for how the game works and gives a quick adventure and some monsters so that you can actually play a quick game to see what Shadow of the Weird Wizard plays like. Great way to see if this kind of system, if this kind of game works well for you. So one of the things I really love about how Shadow of the Demon Lord worked is you have these, you kind of start off with a job, and then you have your novice, your expert, and your master paths. And they're sort of like you can almost imagine like subclasses, except in subclasses in 5e, they are based on the class where your novice expert and master paths are independent of one another. And what that means is in one book, in one sort of player's guide, you have thousands and thousands of different options for your character to grow in different ways. So it's it's not a super crunchy system. It's not really hard to understand it, but it gives a ton of options for players to grow their characters in different ways and kind of build a character that they want to build. Also, because it has sort of a level zero where you start with a job and before you've even picked one of your classes yet, and you're just working with that job, it meant that you've had like a session where you have only played the character with that job, which means the job was more meaningful even later in the game. When I played it, it definitely came out where like people remembered the jobs that they had, where backgrounds in D&D kind of fall away because you're really mostly focused on your class, right? You're, you're focused on your class and your subclass and all the stuff that your class and subclass do. But because you had this session where you played as your, your only your background, you really remember it. So watching that stuff evolve in the Shadow of the Weird Wizard, I'm really excited to see it the the reason why like shadow of the weird wizard exists is because shadow of the demon lord is a fantastic role-playing game we're going to talk all about it in a minute it's a fantastic role-playing game but it is definitely set in this really dark body horror very grim very grisly sort of world and it's in there all the way down into the into those master paths and expert paths that you pick. It's down there in the spells that you choose. It's definitely in there in the monsters. There's no real way to disassociate that level of gore and grime and darkness from the rest of the game. And if you want to play that kind of game, it's perfect for it. But if you wanted to play a high fantasy game, it doesn't really work just because of that. The system could work fine. The nice thing about Shadow of the Weird Wizard was saying... Rob said, yeah, clearly we want to have a high fantasy version of this too. And he's been working on it for years, five, six, seven years, ever since Shadow of the Demon Lord came out. I think he'd been talking about coming out with sort of the high fantasy version of Shadow of the Demon Lord. And that means all of the knowledge learned from that time to now is going to make its way into Shadow of the Weird Wizard, which I think is fantastic. I can't, I can't wait to see it. But now we have the sort of high fantasy version of Shadow of the Demon Lord, which is exactly what we want. So if you want to see more about Shadow of the Weird Wizard, definitely take a look at the sample chapter. Again, perfectly free. All of these you should, right? What I really recommend with all of these Kickstarters is don't listen to me and say, oh, I got to go and I got to buy it. 
if I'm offering a recommendation to you, my recommendation is to go to the Kickstarter, get the free sample, look at the free sample, look at what it's offering and decide for yourself if this is the Kickstarter you want to back. Now, I'm only bringing ones up that I backed, right? I'm only bringing up Kickstarters. No, no, I don't get anything for any of these. So I'm only bringing up the ones that I personally have looked at and say, yeah, that was you know, cool. I'm going to go buy it. But I also back a ton of Kickstarters. If you're a little bit more of a connoisseur of Kickstarters, the way to look is go check out the free sample, see if it's the kind of game you want, see if it's the sort of thing you want, and then consider backing it. But I will say there are times where backing a Kickstarter is not always the best way. You're like, I'll just wait till it comes out and get it then. And that's certainly an option. For Shadow the Weird Wizard, for the amount of material that you're likely to get for the Kickstarter, I bet you, you there, there's no way you're going to be able to get all the material that you get for this in the same way that you get it at the Kickstarter. So I would definitely back the Kickstarter. You can hear me talk more about the quick play rules in my last episode of the talk show. You can also download them yourself and check them out. But you can, most importantly, you can find a link to the Shadow of the Weird Wizard Kickstarter in the show notes. Not only is Rob Schwab in the middle of a Kickstarter for Shadow of the Weird Wizard, he is also doing a bundle of holding for Shadow of the Demon Lord itself. I've just been talking about my love of Shadow of the Demon Lord. Fantastic role-playing game. I love this role-playing game. And every so often, Shadow of the Demon Lord comes out as a, as a bundle of holding. And right now, you can get a Shadow of the Demon Lord bundle. You can actually get two bundles. And it includes, for $8, you get the whole game, plus like a bunch of the accessory, a bunch of the, a bunch of the secondary books that go along with it. But for, I think it's just under 20 yeah, for, let's see, yeah, $18.83. So just under $20, you can get an additional six books. And these are awesome. One thing, I've, I have, I own all of these and I've read them and they are fantastic lore. Even if you're not running Shadow of the Demon Lord, even if you decide, yeah, I don't want to run this system, but you just want to like a different take on all of these different worlds, these different locations, these different groups of people. I have found his lore for the world to be really, really interesting, really inspiring, definitely a dark take on it. But like, he has one called Terrible Beauty that's all about uh, the Feywild, right? His version of the Feywild. And it's really an interesting look at that. And it's definitely worth getting. But not only is there a bundle of holding for these books, which is five, six, 11 different books for 20 bucks. That's a crazy good deal. But there is also a legacies bundle for called Demon Lord Legacies, which has all of the inf other stuff that has come out for Shadow of the Demon Lord in another package. This one also, I think, runs a total. So it's about $27 for all of this, but you're getting dozens. I might be a, I don't know if it's a hundred. It's a lot. It's almost a hundred. It's definitely dozens and dozens. Le five legacies of shadow, four paths of shadow, 17 poison pages. These are all like, sometimes they're only two or three pages long, but they cover a lot of different like adventure settings, a lot of different little rules you can drop in, new classes that you can put in, all that kind of stuff. Occult philosophy, queen of gold, and 21 monsters pages, bunch more monsters. Again, just the inspiration that you can get from these is definitely worthwhile. So under $50, for both of these packages. And you'll get a ton, basically the entire Demon Lord bundle. All of the stuff that is out for, for Shadow of the Demon Lord. I don't know if it has adventures. One thing I was just noticing is I don't, I don't think it includes adventures in here. So that's the one part that it doesn't have. But you get basically everything else, all of the other, all of the other work for Shadow of the Demon Lord you can get for under $50 in PDF. It's a fantastic deal. I highly recommend it. I, own, I already own all of these or I would definitely do it again. Best time to jump onto the Shadow of the Demon Lord stuff. 
So there, there was a really exciting announcement that happened from Roll20 this past week. And this is sort of like a meta announcement. It's not so much the announcement itself that's interesting. It's what it means and what it means for the future of Dungeons & Dragons, really, if you ask me. So Roll20 now has a character vault for monsters of the for for the multiverse role playing game from from Marvel and you can build a character in your oh this is so big you can build a character and most importantly is you can build your character outside of the VTT that you can have a dedicated application a de- dedicated web based app that holds and shows your character outside of the the roll 20 virtual tabletop itself Something more along the lines of what we see with D&D Beyond for their character building. Now, they talked about this. This is sort of the first one they did. It's with the multiverse role-playing game, which I think is built in partnership with Roll20. I think I have that right. But they're also saying, hey, we're going to do the same thing for Call of Cthulhu. And coming up soon is Pathfinder, Pathfinder 2E, and Dungeons & Dragons. That they are going to be building dedicated character builders character applications for these games but particularly for dungeons and dragons that's the one i am particularly interested in because roll 20 is one of the two non wizards of the coast companies that is able to host D content that isn't just 5e srd stuff but actual full books of dungeons and dragons and one of the things that to me speaks to the health of D is having multiple online character builders. Right now, the D&D Beyond character builder is pretty much the only one. You've heard me, if you've listened to my nonsense before, you have heard me complain about the fact that there is only really the single D&D Beyond character builder, and that pretty much everybody says, well, that's the one we use. And by my own polls and surveys, about half of people playing D&D were using D&D Beyond as their character builder, which is fine. It's a really good tool. It's got a couple of features that I don't really dig, and two two features that that bug me a lot, Two two features that make it almost unusable for me really is one it only has content from wizards of the coast two you cannot specifically filter out content from other books when you build a campaign for example if i build a campaign and i say we're only going to use the player's handbook and xanathar's guide but not tasha's and not any of the other character options there is no way for me to limit that in the character builder yes there is a way to filter that content so players can't see it if you own it that doesn't prevent them from finding the options in the character builder and many times those options in the character builder don't say where they came from which means players will end up picking options from sources that you don't want to necessarily have in your campaign and that is a very limiting feature as far as i'm concerned those two things one i can't include third-party content without either making it homebrew stuff and two i can't filter content at the character builder level to ensure that players only have access to options that i have selected for that particular or that we've agreed to for that particular campaign now the roll 20 character builder i think has those filters solves both of those problems that a it has content from other fifth edition publishers it's got like all the cobalt press stuff for example and i believe you can select exactly which sources are allowed for that particular character so that's an important one but to me what really speaks to the health of DD is knowing that there are multiple character builders out there that have that content so what the way i like to think about this and the, the reason why i think this is an important you know on its own it's like oh that's cool they're doing they're doing a character builder that's separate from the VTT, and D&D is one of them. 
And it totally makes sense. They already have the character mancer in Roll20 that is able to build 5th edition characters using all those 5th edition options, plus options from other 5th edition publishers. That's great. But there isn't a way to view those character sheets, those character builders outside of the virtual tabletop itself. You have to load the VTT in order to do that. And that's, that's kind of a pain. But the other thing that's important to me, and the other reason why I look at this, is this is an indicator of whether or not Wizards of the Coast are being good stewards of D&D like they say they are. Right. D&D is still by far the number one company in the world of tabletop role playing games. It is huge. So even if as we talk about things like Shadow of the Demon Lord, Shadow of the Weird Wizard, Dolmenwood, Shadow Dark RPG, all of these other games that we talk about, the health of the RPG industry is basically the health of you and your group. Can you get your group together and grab a game? So you say we're all going to get together and we're going to play old school essentials. If you and your group can pick an RPG, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter if anybody else in the world is playing it. If you can pick it, because a lot of times these RPGs are only one book and then you're done you've got everything you need so that that health is important however dnd is still by far the biggest one so what happens with dnd has a trickle down effect to all of the rest of what's happening with other rpgs i i'm i'm pretty confident in that so when we're looking at the health of dnd and we're saying okay wizards you have said particularly earlier this year you said that you want to get back to being and remain good stewards of the D&D brand, but also of the game. You want to be good partners in the TTRPG world. What are the things that you can do to be good partners? So they released this system reference document of the fifth edition of D&D into French, Italian, German, and Spanish. That is a huge deal. That does show that they are being good stewards of the brand. They are putting out the rule set in, so now it's available in five different languages. They put up the energy and the money and the effort and the time to convert all of that that is showing that they care about the community that is one one indicator that they are giving back to the community they are showing through deed that they are working to be good stewards of DD. another one this is another indicator to me this is i like to think of these as like i have a bunch of little candles on my windowsill and some of the candles are burning and lit and other ones are dark and the more of them that are burned and lit, the healthier D&D is for the community overall. And the fewer and the more that are out shows that things aren't so good. Sometimes they're out and they're going to flare up. Sometimes they are flared up and they're going out. And some of the ones where I'm looking and it's like they're out, but they're flared up is when I see more character builders getting built that allow for all of the D&D rules. Xanathar's Guide, Tasha's, all of the other stuff. Roll 20. This is an example of one that is going to flare up. It hasn't happened yet, right? They're saying they're going to do it. It hasn't happened yet, but when that happens, that will be one of those little flames that go up. Now, if that doesn't happen, if we look and it's the end of the year and they have not yet done this, we might assume, we could potentially assume, it might not be true, but it might be that Wizards of the Coast went to Roll20 and said, hey, we don't want you to make a dedicated character builder because that's going to compete with D&D Beyond. From a business standpoint, that would make sense. And Roll20 is in a bad spot because they have to do whatever Wizards of the Coast says when it comes to that material. And they want to sell that material for the rest of their VTT. So whatever Wizards tells them to do, they're probably going to end up doing, right? They're going to have to do it. So if Wizards says, hey, we heard you're going to make a separate virtual table or we're going to make a separate character builder and we don't want you to do that, Roll20 is not going to be able to do it. If this happens, that's one of those candles going lit. A couple other candles that would be great is Demiplane. If Demiplane had D&D material, that would be great. That would be a candle that lights. If Shard, I talked about Shard in a few episodes ago. Shard is another virtual tabletop, but it's one where you can load the character builder stuff in a mobile device. You can load the character stuff outside of the VTT. And if Shard had access to D&D material, direct D&D material, not just 5.1 material, that would be another lit little lit candle. All of these are like little lit candles, right? Good, good thing 
things that could potentially happen. Of course, another big one is the 3.5 SRD coming out in Creative Commons. They said they were going to do that. They said they were going to do it by the end of the year. If they do it by the end of the year, that's another little lit candle. Even if we're not really using it, we're just seeing that, ah, they are working with the community. They are bringing out material. They are releasing this material in ways that they don't have direct control over it and they can't necessarily pull it back. They could still pull stuff back in like a Roll20 character builder you know it's just harder for them to do so and then of course a real big one which is unfortunately going to be like two years out is are they going to actually release the 2024 rules under a creative commons license the same way that they did the 5.1 license that's a lot of work for them to do it's somebody has to spend the time and money and energy to do that and they might be busy making other games they might be busy making other books it's conceivable oh we got really busy we're, we're going to do it we definitely want to do it we just haven't gotten around to it we need to hold them to them that they said they were going to do it and we want to hold it to them to say, do it. And when they do that, that's another one of those lit candles. So these are all signs of like, what's the health of D&D? Not from Wizards of the Coast perspective, because I don't care, right? That they have business analysts and stockholders and a bunch of C-suite executives and vice presidents and stuff. They can worry about the D&D business. I don't care about the D&D business. I care about the game for you and me. I care about the health of the game. I care about the health of the industry. I care about the material and us having options to play it in different systems for us to pick different tools that we want to use for our game. That's what I care about. And I'm not worried about their business. I don't think about it. I, I'm probably not going to say, hey, they ought to do this thing that's totally contrary to a good business. But if they told us they were, I'm going to hold them to that. And I think them coming out with the 2024 rules under a Creative Commons license would be a fantastic way for them to show that they really are putting their money where their mouth is. Literally, well, not literally, but pretty close, right? Putting their money where their mouth is. Actually putting money down, paying somebody, a, a person, a salaried employee has to go through the rules and has to build a document and has to check it and make sure everything's cool and has to go through editing and all that stuff to put it out there in the SRD. It's hard work. It's really hard work to do that. So, and it's, that means it's expensive. That means it costs them a lot of money to do it. But once they do it, the game is better off. The game is better off for everybody. It's better off for the employees that work at Wizards of the Coast who may not work there five, five years from now, but can still leave Wizards of the Coast and still develop for the game that they've spent all their time and energy and effort working on. And we've seen many developers, Rob Schwab, we were just talking about Shadow of the Demon Lord. He got a lot of his experience making stuff for the 3.5 version of D&D, fourth edition of D&D, and some work for the fifth edition of D&D. He got that experience. So... It's valuable to everybody for them to do that. So this to me is a good example. It's like, it's not the sign of a lit candle yet, but it's a sign of little sparks. We're seeing sparks on one of the wicks. We go, oh, let's watch that candle and let's see if that one lights up. And if it lights up and we have multiple character builders that are separate from a VTT that let us build fifth edition characters using official D&D rules and ideally rules from other fifth edition publishers in one tool, that would be really awesome. And we want more than one. It's great that Roll20 would do it. I would also love to see it in Shard. I would love to see it in Demiplane. Those are two others that are in the position to be able to do that. And I would love to see them do it as well. One of the things that I do as a Patreon is I show material that I'm working on for future products, but it comes out over a long period of time. The Lazy DM's Companion, for example, actually came from a book called Sly Flourish's Uncovered Secrets Volume 1, which were a bunch of one-page guides that I put together and put out over Patreon over, I think, the course of about a year and a half that offered different ways, different tools, different ideas that you could bring to your D&D game. I actually have a whole other book called Uncovered Secrets Volume 2, which is not likely to get published, or if it does, it'll be published in a future book sometime from now. 
that has other ideas about like how to do lightweight RPGs, how to do one-on-one games, lots of different things that are available in that Uncovered Secrets Volume 2, which is available. But one of the things I've been working on for now, I think two years, I don't know if it's been two years, like a year and a half is a a book that I'm very excited for, a product that I'm very excited for. I love working on called The City of Arches. The City of Arches, is it's a PDF. Right now, it's a 78-page PDF. It's been growing every month. It's a city source book. It's a, a, a city that you can use in your role-playing game. It's a city that is built to have a wide range of potential species that you could play as, a wide range, get, gets rid of a lot of the bioessentialist nature of other fantasy cities, and is also just thick with adventure locations like from the top to the bottom it's just layers and layers and layers of places that you could go on in adventures and it's all built around like unstable planar travel is like a big component of the city of arches that there's these ancient archways and sometimes creatures step out of the archway they don't know how they got there they don't know where they came from but they come through the archway they are given a basket that includes some artisanal cheeses and some fancy soaps and sent to the pools where they can go and relax and then they're often find themselves in other places in the world they become beneficial members of the city so the city itself is a really nice place much like ruins of the grendel root and deep delvers enclave i wanted the city of arches to to be a place you would want to live. I, I wanted the city to be a place that you read about and you're like, wow, I just want to be there. And you could close your eyes and imagine yourself there and be happy. But also it's rife with adventure locations. You'd also, it's, if it's all just a happy place to go, it's not really great for a role-playing game because there's not a lot of conflict. So we wanted a bunch of conflict that's in there too. So it's like layers and layers and layers of what's underneath the city. And then all the archways that can go to these other areas. So there's danger of plenty and there's adventure locations of plenty. There's lots of stuff to go. So this past couple of months, I've been focused a lot on Forge of Foes and getting Forge of Foes out. But in the back, I've been working on a big section of the City of Arches that is called the Outlands. You can find this on page 49 of the City of Arches. Again, patrons can get access to it. And the Outlands is a 12-page section of the book. Great big piece of the book. And the idea here is say, what's outside of the city? If you go north or you go west or you go east, what do you find? And so I created essentially what I call like three biomes, three different types of lands that you could go to. Marshlands up to the north, really crazy evil desert to the west, and kind of nice, you know, Ireland-like hillsides to the south. And the idea was that in each of those, we would, they would have 10 different adventure locations that you could go on in these areas. They would have different small towns that you could visit and lots and lots of places to have, to have adventures. So each of these locations, like the Revland Mar- Marshes is the marshlands to the north. And each of them has like, you know, 10 secrets and clues, right? 10 in pieces of information about the marshlands that the characters might discover. They have, and then they have each of the locations there. Each one is designed to be like either a session or maybe even a small number of sessions that you could run in these adventure locations and all of them have an adventure hook just like everything else in the city of arches if you go through the city of arches book you'll see like every npc every location they all have adventure hooks it's designed as a city of adventure you can go there and you can run adventures all day long hundreds of them so all of these locations describe like what's outside of the city if you were to go to the marshlands what are the kind of places that you would find lots of adventure locations but a few places that are just other nice places to go so there's a town called Heron's Stride. When Heron's Stride is this nice village up on stilts where fisher folk 
go. And it's like, well, we kind of like to stay by ourselves. So one of the ideas that I really liked about, about the Outlands is not everybody likes the city. Even if they've come through an archway, even if they don't remember where they came from, and even if they're peaceful folk, they might say, yeah, but this city's not for me. I really would prefer some more isolation. I want to kind of be a little bit more on my own. So then they go to Heron's Stride where lots of people kind of stay off on their own. They're, they're, they stay to themselves very quietly. Maybe they just want to relax and be farmer types. Well, then they go to the village of Pete down to the south but maybe they still have this like bloodlust in them maybe they're still fired up and i brought this idea that like just like you could have a chained devil who steps through and realizes that what they really want to do is bake cookies that the chain devil's just not interested in like whipping people to death with chains and they're like i you know what i really want to do is i just want to learn how to bake right i want to just be a beneficial baker so you go to the chain devil thing and he's baking just like that, you could have a fairy princess who stepped through and is just filled with like bloodlust and anger. She says, I don't want to, you know, I'm just filled with anger and I want to, and strength and power and, and, and violence is my, my drive. And they go West. They go to the, you know, to the, to the, the city of blades, which is to the West where, you know, it is a city built on power and is a city built on blood sport. And it is this, you know, it is right out of, you know, Mad Max. Not everybody fits in every one of these. So the nice thing is there's now three other kind of cities and towns where people might go that are based on where they where they want to head. And then, of course, just piles and piles of different places that you could go and visit and, and have adventures. So we have the, the, the three main regions are the Reveland Marshes to the to the north. The Dorish Hills to the south, which is kind of your sort of Euro fantasy, small villages and ancient forests and old tombs and big hillsides and roads that might be taken over by bandits. Very sort of traditional fantasy environment. And then we have our sort of post-apocalyptic, the, 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 the Western Deadlands, right? And the Western Deadlands was destroyed by a magical apocalypse caused by the servants of the nameless king, this super powerful entity. And there's old ziggurats and buried laboratories and giant craters with alien stones in them and towers that are like half shattered and undead dragons flying around the area. So it's meant that you can kind of use any of these big locations and the adventure, I, adventure locations in them. You could use them independently. You could just grab on them and say, well, I don't really need them to all be around the city. I don't have to build them around the city of arches. Every one of these from down to a specific adventure location, you could grab and bring into your own game and skip everything else. You could grab one of the regions and say, I'm going to add that region to my game. Or I already had a region that's similar to this. So I'm going to use some of the material that we describe in this region in the one I already have. If you already have a desert wasteland, right? You have the wasted wests from Midgard. This is some idea of things that you could drop into the wasted wests, right? A lot of the, oh, I run in Forgotten Realms. The Dorsh Hills fits very well on the sword coast of the Forgotten Realms. You have the Revlin marshes, but you have those marshlands that are on the sword coast and you want to drop those in there and kind of fill that out. You've got a bunch of adventuring locations for this. So this is a 12 page section of the city of arches. I just finished it. It's just been released to patrons in the past week. And I wanted to show it off as an example of the kind of material you get by being a patron of Sly Flourish. Every month you get new little stuff like this. You get video previews. You get the monthly Q and a, the dedicated discord server, tons of stuff that you get for being a patron of Sly Flourish. We have two levels, which is the veteran level and the hero level heroes also get something else and i'm going to talk about next week a special feature just for heroes but we're gonna we're gonna save that save that for next week so if you like the work that i do if you want to support the work that i do if you dig the idea of the city of arches if you want access to this other stuff 
please consider subscribing to the Sly Flourish Patreon. It is a it is a it is a really good deal. We have a lot of really cool people there. Our Discord server is very active, well moderated. It's a fun fun place to hang out and talk about the game. And so thank you all, patrons. Thank you so much for your continued support. One of the areas that Dungeons and Dragons can sometimes struggle with is the idea of exploration and travel. I've talked about it on this show before. I've offered a lot of tips and tricks for how to handle exploration and travel. But one of the groups that seems to have done a pretty good job with it is Cubicle 7 when they did it for their Lord of the Rings based 5e fantasy game. Well, they have now taken that idea and put it into a separate product, a separate book that you can pick up for 5th edition that you can drop into any of your 5th edition games. And that is known as Uncharted Journeys. You can pick it up right off of their website. I would recommend picking it up off of their website because the hardcover book is a, is a really, really beautiful book. And given the price of the PDF, it's actually probably worthwhile to get the physical book and the PDF. Again, as always, you can find a link in the show notes, but we're going to take a look at why I think this book is a really outstanding book for handling travel in D&D. Uncharted Journeys by Cubicle 7 is a 294-page book. It is a gorgeous hardcover book as well. I, I picked up both the hardcover version and then I got the PDF and hardcover bundle. They did not sponsor this. This is my own unbiased, moderately unbiased view of the book, but it is not a sponsored version of the book. The reason I'm talking about it is because I think it's really awesome. And one of the things that it focuses on is the idea that you have roles for travel. That right up front, when you're talking about traveling across the lands, that you have specific roles that you can take. And the roles that it has, it has four different roles. The leader, the outrider, the quartermaster, and the sentry. The leader is the one who's kind of making sure everybody else is on board, everything is going smoothly, deciding where they're, they're going to go. Again, we just talked about that idea of having a, a caller from the Dolmenwood book, and this is an idea for that. But capable of organizing and encouraging the team to persevere through challenges. Then we have the Outrider, who scouts ahead of the group, finding safe routes, tracking threats to the party. We have our Quartermaster, who's responsible for equipment, keeping stuff together, making sure everybody's well hydrated, making sure that they're all changing their socks regularly so they don't get the, they don't get trench foot, all the kind of stuff that we that you need to do while you're while you're doing lots of travel. And then the sentry is keeping an eye out for the surroundings. Now, when I've run exploration like this, I usually drop it down to actually three roles instead of four. I usually have like the Pathfinder who's like what's the path that you're actually you know what's what's the path that you're actually following what's the who's got the who understands what the path is that you're following and are you on track and if and then you can have them roll checks on that and if they fail to check then you kind of get off the beaten path maybe it takes longer to travel maybe they run into a place they don't want to run into but you have essentially whoever's got like the map and the compass and is looking at landmarks and making sure you're headed in the right direction that was one role a second role is that idea of like a sentry who is keeping an eye out who's the scout who's making sure you don't run into a den of rune bears who's making sure that you're not going to get jumped by bandits who's keeping an eye out for threats that are out there who's looking at the ground and be like, I just saw dinosaur tracks. We probably don't want to go that way because there's a Tyrannosaurus Rex going that way. Right? You want somebody that's looking at that. And then that quartermaster role. Who's making sure that everybody's got the food and water and that the pacing is correct? Who's making sure everybody's going well? I found those three roles to work really well. This idea of also having a leader role is a good one. And the more roles you have, the more options there are for different characters to take on different areas of responsibility. What's neat is that these roles are independent of the classes they pick. There are certain skills that can help them 
them manage these classes. And they talk about it here in the book. What what are the different what are the different skill proficiencies that work well for any of these different for any of these different roles? And you want them to be upfront. Like you don't want people to select a role and not realize what they're good at. And you also want to make sure that the roles have a wide variety of skills that maybe if you're a scout, maybe athletics and acrobatics works well because you're climbing up a mountains and you're doing stuff like that. But also it helps if you're doing like perception or investigation and skills like that. And you might have them roll different checks in order to see what they discover as they're going through. Sentry, of course, would also be based on like you could have nature, you could have perception, you could have investigation, like who's keeping who's keeping an eye out for stuff. Now, one interesting thing they do is they also say like, hey, based on your classes, here are different ways that your class can have a benefit when you're doing overland travel. So instead of just having those roles and you pick those roles, which is what I do, it's very straightforward and very simple, is you can actually say different classes have different abilities while you're going on travel. A whole system for this, which I thought was really interesting. You know, it's like, oh, that's kind of a neat idea that you could actually, you know, between encounters, you can spend hit dice to recover spell slots. You can spend a number of hit dice. So these are all different things that you can do while you're traveling on the assumption that you're traveling under good circumstances. Then there's a whole chapter on journey rules. Like how, what's the actual pace? What's the distance? How do you measure out how long it's going to take? How do you figure out the difficulty? What are some example weather conditions? Now here's where things get really interesting. And this is sort of like a, a bivariate way that this book handles it. And I didn't really understand this until I got in later and, oh, and suddenly my eyes were opened and I was like, wow, this book is seriously valuable. Like this is like, we're going to come to it. There, there's one thing where I was like, oh, sure. Roles. Yeah. But I've got roles in Lazy DM's Companion. Do I really need a whole book about roles? Eh. And I was like, okay, well, it doesn't even list the weather. Like what good is that? Right. And there was like, when I was getting through this, like, yeah, the class stuff is kind of neat, but it's like, is it worth, you know, a $60 book and 300 pages? I don't know. Just wait, just wait till you get to the cool bit. So it talks about all of them. How do you assign your roles, making your preparations, lots of ideas about like the nemesis. Is there somebody chasing you down that you have to worry about? Lots of cool stuff like that. Hirelings, packing things up, the animals, the pack animals that you have, whether you're, whether you're riding on animals or whether you're having them carry your stuff, how to make the actual journey itself. What are some encounters that you have? And then you have these like encounter types, Right chance meeting, hidden reserve, bump in the road, needing assistance, danger afoot, natural wonders, monster hunt, place to rest, old memories, dark place, and the region, coast, desert, farmland, forest, frontiers. So this is the bivariate nature. You have a, different types of encounters on the left, but then all of those have different kinds of encounters based on the region that they're from. So a huge like bivariate way of looking at what potential encounters might happen while you're going through travel. So instead of just saying like, here's a list of potential encounters and you roll on that list, you actually roll first to see what type of encounter it is. And then you can look over at the location and that will tell you, hey, here are the different kinds of locations. So that I thought was really, really Really, really powerful. Really interesting. I'm going to show more about that. More about rewarding XP, meaning who you meet along the way, right? What what kind of places you find, backgrounds of people that you meet, bunch of sample encounters. Partway through the book, you come to an ancient ruins section, which is a whole generator for developing locations that they might run into while they're on travel. Who built it? How old is it? What was it originally? What does it look like now? What is it used for now? Great questions to ask. I really, I love this idea. How old is it? Who built it on one table? You know, looking at the different groups, it gives descriptions of like, what would it be like if this was built by aberrants or elves or giants? You know, that, that's a fantastic way to kind of come up with really interesting locations. You know, what, what, what did it use to be? Archive, crypt, manor, all that sort of thing. 
when you start to mix all these variables together, you really come to dozens and dozens, hundreds of different potential locations that, that they could, hundreds of different locations that your characters could explore. What does it look like? You know, is it hollow? Is it reclaimed? Is it restored? Is it shattered? What is it now? A chapter on journey encounters where it tells you about the kind of encounters that you would have, what, how it affects the different checks that you would give to your, give to the different roles and what they might learn at each of these things. Really, really handy. So here's where we come to the section where I was like, oh, now I know what this book is about. Because we're only like 64 pages out of 300 pages. But now we get to the real meat of the book, which are all of the different pieces of information we need for any of the different potential environments that the characters might explore in. So for example, we have coasts. You have all the different kinds of weather that might occur in the coasts. Flora and fauna, the kinds of things they might find there. The local inhabitants, who might hang out in this particular area. Points of interest, you know, just a small set of points of interest or possible journeys that they have. And then for each of those different types of encounters, they have a bunch of different random encounters. So a chance meeting could be one. Hidden reserves is another. Bump in the road is another. Needing assistance. Ranger of danger of foot. Natural wonders. Monster hunt. A place to rest. Old memories. A dark place. Deadly fight. Fateful encounters. And it has that for every one of those environments. So you have a whole bunch of different types of encounters for every type of location. And then a bunch of encounters for that type. So it means that there are hundreds and hundreds of different ideas that are all well spelled out. Like vultures circling in the distance, watching and waiting for their prey to succumb to dehydration or their wounds. Chance meeting, love letters, a half-orc rides on a two-humped camel across the dunes, the personal messenger of two lovers situated on either side of the desert. She is handsomely, paid handsomely and enjoys the solitude, right? Just a chance meeting, somebody you run into. So what's really, really cool is just the sheer number of potential encounters for different environments. This book is packed with them. That is the majority of the book, probably about four-fifths of the book are all of these different encounters that you can have. And this, to me, is what sets this book apart from like any of the other books that I've seen that handle exploration, is just the sheer number of cool encounters that people have come up with. Three, four-sentence encounters for you know, 10 different ones for 10 different kinds of encounters for dozen, you know, more than a dozen different kinds of locations. That is just piles of stuff. So as soon as I saw this, I was like, ah, oh, this is where my money went. This is what I wanted. And this is why I think this is an outstanding book for fueling your ideas for exploration when your characters are going from place to place. So that is Uncharted Journeys by Cubicle 7, a fantastic book. Really glad I picked it up. And a book that I think definitely picked one problem, which is how to handle exploration and travel and gives you good, solid guidance, good, interesting system, and lots and lots of inspirational ideas to run travel in your 5e games. I really love it. I'm really glad I picked it up. Every month on the Sly Flourish Patreon, we have the Sly Flourish Patreon Q&A. Patrons can ask any question related to tabletop role-playing games. I answer every question every Friday morning, and then some of them make its way to this show where we talk about it when they have a, when they, when they cover a topic that I think is valuable to a lot Lots of DMs. James says, now that you've run a game of Shadow Dark and are wrapping up Scarlet Citadel, how do you think Scarlet Citadel would run as a Shadow Dark campaign? Are there particular parts of Scarlet Citadel that would lend itself to Shadow Dark? I think the answer to that is no. And for, for a couple reasons. One is that my, my number one complaint about Scarlet Citadel as an adventure is that's far too wordy. That it is really, really like, like you have entire room descriptions that take three pages. And that is really the opposite of what you get with Shadow Dark. Kelsey over at the Arcane Library 
prides herself on brevity and the book of shadow dark rpg is brief so could the style of the adventure that the scarlet citadel has work with shadow dark sure but i just think there are other adventures that are better and probably better suited to run shadow dark so like and when i'm thinking about my shadow dark rpg campaign which is probably what we're going to be running after we're done with scarlet citadel which may be as early as next week that i'm going to be picking material from the shadow dark rpg i'm probably going to pick up the cursed scrolls one the the the, the witch the witch the diab you know the the diabolic realms of cursed scroll one i think fit better with shadow dark because it was written by kelsey in the same adventure style that the book itself is written in. So I, I probably, I mean, if you're really excited for Scarlet Citadel, I think you could probably run it with anything, but I think there's other probably adventures that are easier to run and that are probably going to offer more options and more, you know, more agency to the players to be able to navigate. SMRE says, I'm looking for a system neutral settings. I found several for fantasy campaigns, but science fiction and urban fantasy have eluded me. Any suggestions? I know fantasy is your specialty, but I'm hoping you know a guy that has something. Yeah, I do. And that is that every setting is actually system neutral. Most of the time, there may be material that you have to skip and there may be material that you have to convert. But a lot of the times, really good settings you can use with any system. That just all you have to do is kind of strip some of the mechanics away and focus on the lore of the setting and you can build it with any RPG. You could take the 5e version of Tolis. And if you look at Tolis as an example, Tolis is Monty Cook's big city-based campaign. They have a 5e version and they have a cipher version. They actually have a 3.5 version as well. And the differences are really, really small. Because most of the time, as long as you're good at reskinning, as long as you're good at like, oh yeah, it says this monster, but I'm actually going to use this monster. As long as you understand the mechanical underpinnings of whatever the system is you're going to run, almost any setting that you pick, you could run with any version of the game. So when you're looking specifically for science fiction and urban fantasy settings, instead of looking for ones that are system neutral, find the best in class regardless of whatever system they have. And I bet you if you look at them, it won't be too hard for you to be able to strip the material out and use whatever system that you want to use with that game Numenera as a version of science fantasy I bet you first of all they wrote Arcana of the Ancients they have a book that lets you convert 5e stuff into material that's suitable for Numenera I bet you that's actually a pretty fun and cool way to go so a lot of times you can take whatever your system is and you can convert it to whatever that setting is so that way it's really better to think of settings as being system neutral by default that whatever setting you like, whatever setting you look at, don't worry. Even if it's part of a whole RPG where the rest of the book, could you take the, you know, Duskwall from Blades in the Dark and run a 5e game there? Absolutely. You don't need to use Blades in the Dark. You could take the, Dusk, the, the Duskwall world of Blades in the Dark and run a 5e game, and I bet you'd run pretty well. I bet you people would really like it. So think of all systems. Think of all settings as being system neutral. Don't limit yourself just to the ones that actually are system neutral. PhD20 says Ben Milton of Questing Beast on YouTube once described OSR games this way. The best description of an OSR campaign might be an immersive open-ended fantasy challenge simulator. How would you describe the type of game you generally write or talk about? That is a very interesting way. I'm not a specialist at all in old school revival, old school Renaissance style games. And I know Ben Milton spends a lot of time talking about that kind of stuff. So I would go with probably his description for OSR games. What are the kinds of games that I like and that I kind of steer towards with the style of play that I have, regardless of the system I'm using, is a stochastic shared story with my friends around the table. So the idea is that we are sharing a story at the table, me and my friends, 
and we are figuring out where it's going to go together. I've set a bunch of stuff up and then we see where it's going to go. The stochastic nature means, and part of it is randomly determined, right? So we, you know, the way I see the kind of game that I want is a, a shared story with my friends that has random elements that none of us could have predicted. That's really how I see that style. I'm going to use the fancy word of stochastic just to make the whole thing shorter. So a stochastic shared fantasy, right? It would be, if you're really going to narrow it down, or a stochastic shared fantasy story that takes place at the table, something like that. that. That's really where I feel I enjoy the game. I love watching the story go in directions I didn't expect. I love setting up situations and watching the characters navigate them. And as part of that, we're rolling a lot of dice and those lot of dice can randomly determine things. Sometimes it's just whether or not a monster hit or missed. Sometimes it's whether or not there's a 14 month gap, a 14 month jump ahead in the story. I had that happen in my Numenera campaign. It was a random roll on a random table and another random roll to see what it did. And it ended up being a 14 month jump in the timeline, which was fantastic. I thought it was really, really cool for that story. So... That idea of a, a, you know, a, a shared, you know, a shared story evolving at the table with elements of randomness, if you don't want to use a fancy word like stochastic, right? But really a stochastic shared story with my friends around the table is probably about as easy as I can go. Friends, we have come to the end of today's Lazy RPG Talk Show. I want to thank all of you for hanging out with me today. If you like this show and you want to see more material that I have done, please consider subscribing to the Sly Flourish newsletter. That newsletter is the best way to keep track of all of the work that I do. You will get a weekly RPG-related email sent directly to your inbox every Tuesday. And in that email, I have links to all of the other videos I do. I have a bunch of DM tips. I have links to other articles, links to all kinds of things. It is the best way to get a weekly hub of all of the work that I have done. You also get a free adventure generator for signing up and it is absolutely free to sign up. You can also support me directly on Patreon. Patrons get access to the monthly Q&A, a dedicated Discord server, the, the early look at the City of Arches, a whole bunch of dedicated adventures and a whole lot more. And you can also pick up my books, Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, the Lazy DMs Workbook, the Lazy DMs Companion, and all of my other books at the Sly Flourish bookstore. Thank you all so much. Have a great day and get out there and play a role-playing game.